Hello and welcome back to the Frogs of War podcast. I'm Anthony North. That's Russ Hodges. And here we are. It's finally game week, Fiesta Bowl, college football playoff semifinal. Number two, Michigan. Number three, TCU in Glendale, Arizona. Saturday, 3 p.m. Central. I'm pumped for it. Russ, how are you feeling tonight? Hopefully everybody got out there safe. I know there's a lot of crap going on right now with these airlines canceling flights. So if you were lucky enough to get a plane out there, happy for you. Other guys who uh, road tripped out there or did whatever you had to do, hopefully everyone's out there uh, enjoying themselves so far. And I'm excited, man. We've been, we just spoke about it before hopping on the podcast, how we've been talking about this game for weeks. It's been such a long layoff before uh, finally getting here, but finally here, I feel like I've had to get myself back into into college football bowl mode here these last few few days. Been watching uh, Kansas play a heartbreaker with Arkansas. Um, just got done watching the Oklahoma game against Florida State, but uh, really, really eager to to watch this game this weekend. Really excited. Man, the bowls have been really good. It's, it's been a fun bowl season, I feel like. I know there's always the narrative of there's too many bowls and why do all these bad football teams have to play in these bowls, but I've, I've really enjoyed it. I think it's been a, a pretty exciting bowl season and, and we're just hitting the, the really juicy part of it. So, uh, looking forward to it. Um, before we get into the game, I had a question for you here. So this is, you know, the Fiesta bowl for a time was Tostitos Fiesta bowl. Then there was, I think last year it was PlayStation Fiesta bowl. This year were the Verbo Fiesta bowl. Have you ever stayed at a Verbo? Have you ever used this service before? I haven't. No, I've I've been down to Texas a few times, used Airbnb. Um, I honestly wasn't quite sure what Verbo was until uh, earlier this year. Someone had mentioned it to me. I was looking into some travel reservations to a trip to Texas earlier this year. I was looking at Airbnbs, and then I saw Verbo pop up. I'm like, what the hell is Verbo? But no, I... <laughs> Listen, they should have just, – I love chips. They should have kept it Tostitos. I'm a sucker for – It was too perfect. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I miss the Tostitos. You get to you get to throw Tostitos and you dump the Tostitos on the couch. Yeah, I miss the chips. I don't know what you – you can't, like, dump someone's rental house in, in, in uh, a on a coach. You, you can't. The, the mayo bowl. Now you got the cheese yeah. bowl. I just watched Mike Norvell, Florida State coach, get a thing of cheese that's dumped on his head. They dumped the mayo exactly. on the coaches now too. So, bring back the the Tostitos for for old time's sake. Throw it back. Yeah, I I miss it. Um, I also have never stayed at a Verbo. Um, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a hotel guy, I guess. I, I like having the. I know what I'm getting when I go to a hotel generally. So you know, sorry. Yeah. I know you're sponsoring our bowl game here, but, uh, Verbo, maybe, maybe now that we know who you are and what you do that we'll, we'll check you out in the future. Verbo, Verbo um, will not be sponsoring the frogs of war podcast. Uh, hey, if, if, if they would like to, I, I, I will start finding ways to stay at Verbo's. Um, all right. So let's talk about this football game. Yes. Uh, we've been covering it on the site for weeks and we've been talking about it for weeks, but, um, you know, I don't think we've dug into the details too much here. And, you know, I think it's there's a difficult spot here where pretty much the narrative of the playoff is the semifinal games are generally blowouts and there's really only two good teams. And that's the way it always, you know, if 
if this were the BCS, we'd have a nice and clean uh, championship game. And these are just extra games that generate money. And why would this year be any different? Blah, blah, blah. Um, Kind of like TCU is the throw in team this year, the Michigan State, the the Washington, the Cincinnati uh, to go be sacrificed for the sake of, you know, ESPN or whatever. Um, And I'm trying to find ways to to argue against that. And I think we have some good ones. Um, But are are you buying into this narrative that Michigan is just so overpowering that that TCU going into this game is has no chance? I, you know, I understand the narrative from a few standpoints. Obviously, there is a certain level of prestige that comes with playing a program like Michigan that has a rich tradition, a rich history, having a premier head coach in Jim Harbaugh, who everybody knows from his days in the NFL, um, having that big stadium, putting 110,000 people in that stadium. When that stadium's packed, it's uh, one of the biggest places in the entire uh, state of Michigan when they got that stadium full. So th- there's definitely a, a prestige factor with, with Michigan. And uh, we've seen on social media some, some articles and things pop up about, you know, on paper, Michigan should win this game, right? But I'm I'm really excited to see how this game plays out. I think TCU has the talent on both sides of the ball to get this win. I think it's going to be a really physical game. It's the kind of football that Michigan likes to play coming from the, the Big Ten Conference where it's a contrast in styles between the Big 12 where you have a lot of speed, a lot of pace, a lot of tempo, teams getting up and down the field, teams scoring a lot of points, offenses playing at a high level, big-time quarterbacks in the Big Ten. You have really good defensive play. You have teams that grind out wins. Every point matters. Every possession matters. So it's an intriguing matchup for for multiple reasons. And um, Michigan, when you talk about blue blood programs, they're, they're right up there with the Alabamas and, and Ohio State. So, um, definitely a prestige factor there for sure. Michigan has a, a big fan base and interested to see how, how many, uh, purple fans there are in the stands, how many are going to be wearing the, uh, the blue and the maize, I believe it is, right? Maize, it's not yellow. It's yeah, not maize gold. and blue. It's maize. Got to wow. make sure I get that right. But, no, I, I think Michigan for sure has has a reputation of, uh, you know, being that premier program. And, and for good reason. You know, last couple of years, it's been Michigan and Georgia as really the consensus top two teams in college football in terms of win-loss record, what they've – been able to achieve in the regular season, uh, winning those big games, Michigan finally getting the best of, of Ohio State and, you know, making some noise in the in the postseason as well. So uh, Michigan is definitely on a big time roll right now. And TCU has an opportunity to really kind of shock the world in a sense of, you know, dethroning not only a blue blood program but a program that over the last two seasons has been 
probably the second best program in all of college football behind Georgia. Yeah, Coach Dyke said it in uh, some media availability today where, you know, that Michigan is the all-time most wins in college football history. Um, there, it's a it's a long illustrious history, and to to have an opportunity to to take on such a storied program, it it does mean something, and it it is a uh, you know put yourself on the map opportunity for TCU, um, <clears throat> and yeah, this this team ran this season undefeated, um, won the Big Ten championship, really uh, made it look easy. Uh, along the way, really only had one game where uh, there was even any possibility that they might lose at the end. Um, and it wasn't the game everyone expected. So, um, you know, they, they had a tough contest with Illinois, but they had a very easy contest as it turned out with Ohio state. Um, so I, I think there, it, it's fair for Michigan fans. Um, even the Michigan players have been, very confident in in the way they've spoken ahead of this game for them to feel like they're on top of the world because they are, they have been, and um, it's going to take a lot to, to knock them off that pedestal. Um, So thinking about this team, this Michigan Wolverines team and kind of what they bring to the table and what has made them so great this season and, and over the past two seasons. So, the first thing that really stands out offensively is uh, the strength of the offensive line. So back-to-back Joe Moore Award uh, winners for the, the best offensive line in the country. Uh, so last year they they win this award, and then they add an elite center transfer, Olu Oluwatimi from Virginia, who goes out and wins the Remington, wins the Outland Trophy. Um, so – extremely strong up front. And, and this is a narrative that TCU fans are used to going against big 10 teams of, well, the big 10 has this big, strong look at, look at this weight differential between the, the offensive line and, and a TCU defensive line. And so the expectation is that this, this big, bad offensive line is going to push around the frogs. And, um, you know, to be fair, this offensive line has done that uh, to everyone they've played this season. They've they've made life very easy for quarterback J.J. McCarthy, and they've created a running room to where Blake Corum was outstanding, was right there in the Heisman race, in uh, one of the best running backs in the country, had an amazing season. He goes down, uh, back up. You know, I guess when you have five stars waiting in the wings, that helps, but Donovan Edwards steps right in and is uh, they don't miss a beat. Uh, with him, him in the backfield. So um, this offense revolves around that run game, and it's it, it plays at an elite level, and it's going to be a very difficult challenge for the TCU defense. Yeah, there's no question Michigan is going to come out right away. I don't think it's a big surprise. Michigan is going to come out and try to establish the run. It's what they do best. It's what uh, JJ McCarthy and other players have come out and. They talk about playing smash mouth football. They're smashing guys up front. And with Michigan, it's not only about how good they are at running the football, but their offense is even better when they're able to get into the play action passing game. Uh, JJ McCarthy has not turned the ball over very much this season. He only has three interceptions and he's one of the best quarterbacks 
in all of college football when he's throwing out of play action. I believe pro football focus graded him as the number one power five quarterback in that category, throwing out of play action. So when Michigan is able to run the ball the way it has for most of the season, picking up five, six yards of carry on early downs, you're able to wear down the opposing team's defensive front, obviously, but also you're able to open up the playbook and get into some play action things. And that's what allows the tight ends like Schoonmaker and Colston Loveland to make plays in the passing game, along with Ronnie Bell and Cornelius Johnson on some of those deep plays down the field. And believe it or not, Michigan is actually, in terms of big play offense, the Wolverines are right up there with TCU, but they've done it in a different way. TCU likes to spread teams out with four wide receivers, uh, throwing the ball to big-time athletes like Quentin Johnston, Darius Davis, who are able to get downfield uh, with their speed or their size or their athletic ability, win those one-on-one matchups. It's it's not necessarily something that's a result of, uh, a direct result, rather, of a really effective run game. Yes, TCU has run the ball this year, but you don't see TCU running the same kind of play-action offense that Michigan does. It's very much like watching an NFL offense, which makes a lot of sense because Jim Harbaugh is the head coach. So uh, Michigan has found those big plays in the passing game through that play-action. TCU has found their big plays by taking those deep shots down the field. It's going to be interesting to see how this TCU defense attacks Michigan's heavy personnel. I'm expecting to see quite a bit of heavy formations from Michigan in this game. Some some two tight end sets. And remember, Michi- uh, TCU is running a 3-3-5 now under Joe Gillespie. Michigan has not seen a 3-3-5 this year. But on paper, you would have to believe if TCU is only going to have five or six guys in the box and Michigan is running uh, 12 or 22 personnel, they're going to establish the line of scrimmage right away. So I'm curious to see how the base defense stacks up against Michigan's heavy formations and whether or not there are going to be some sub packages built in this week or some adjustments mid game where maybe you, you pull a DB or a linebacker in favor of another defensive tackle or another edge rusher or somebody that can get on the line and, clog up some of those some of those running lanes because it's going to be a huge challenge for these linebackers. Johnny Hodges, happy to hear that he's healthy. He, he, he sounds like he's going to be good to go for this game. D. Winters, um, Jamoy Hodge, Shad Banks, even some of the safeties like Mark Perry, the strong safety, they're going to need to come up consistently and fill those gaps, make good tackles around the line of scrimmage. If TCU starts giving up yards after contact, they're not wrapping up on first contact. They're giving up five, six yards of carry. It's going to be a long day. So that's that's going to be the battle, I think, for TCU defensively is can the 3-3-5, can these linebackers tackle well enough, fill those gaps well enough? And if they can't, will there be any adjustments or any kind of sub packages built in to try and counter some of those heavy formations from Michigan? Yeah, I think it's it's a really tough, uh, you're, you're putting a lot of weight on your true freshman youngest player on the team. Nose tackle Dominic Williams, uh, is, 
he's going to have to eat up that space. And, and yeah, it's, it's putting a lot on him going up against the best offensive lineman in the country. Um, that's a, that's a tough spot to be in there. And, uh, and I think some, it's been interesting hearing the coaching staffs speak somewhat differently than the way the players have spoke. Like you said, I mean, I think it was the, the JJ McCarthy interview where he was talking about they're coming in a three, three, five. If we see that we're, we're going to smash them. That's the, we're going to, we're going to run right through them. That Michigan is expecting to be able to carve up TCU up front. If that's what they show. Um, but the coaching staffs have, have, been a little bit more conservative in the way that they've said it because they've been talking about how out of the three, three, five, you're actually able to show a lot more uh, different looks to stop the run than you actually do with four down linemen. Um, pressure comes from different places and it, it really messes up the blocking assignments for, for the offensive linemen. So I, I think it will be, you know, obviously there's been a lot of, time between games to where the Michigan coaching staff will be able to, to coach up and prepare for that. Um, that maybe if this game had been, you know, three weeks earlier, maybe TCU has a little more advantage there, but um, you know, I, I, and maybe it's just purple glasses, but I think that TCU has seen some of the best rushing attacks in the country now, not with the level of complete offense dominance that Michigan has shown, um, but obviously Bijan Robinson and and the Texas offense, uh, rushing offense was superb. Deuce Vaughn and the Kansas State offense was superb, and you know at least for one of those games against Deuce Vaughn was was pretty successful, and and the Bijan effort to hold him under thirty yards. Um, it's extremely impressive. And so we know that TCU has a way to stop that, but, um, if, if Michigan does what it wants to do, it's going to be a lot of pushing that defensive line forward and just taking whatever's there. And, um, you know, they seem to think that there will always be something there. I guess the follow-up to that is, if TCU is successful at slowing the run, will Michigan still be able to to toss it all over the field? I mean, J.J. McCarthy is a five-star quarterback. He's had two incredible games in a row, six touchdowns total over those two games um, in the two biggest games of the season. How do you feel about TCU's ability to stop um the Michigan passing offense. Yeah, I, that was going to lead into into the next question I was going to pose for for TCU defensively is, you know, Ohio State in that matchup, even without Blake Corum playing, he dressed for the game, but he really didn't play. He just couldn't go with that bad knee. But Ohio State was fully committed, it seemed, to almost selling out on stopping the run. And the result was, while Donovan Edwards didn't have many explosive plays in the first half, J.J. McCarthy was hitting on a lot of nice throws deep down the field. He had three touchdown passes in the game. He ran for a touchdown also and helped Michigan build a lead later in the game where 
Donovan Edwards was finally able to get going once Ohio State finally started to make some adjustments and drop more guys back. Then Donovan Edwards started to go off, and it was it, it was a wrap for for Ohio State from that point. So, you know, for for TCU, I don't know how I feel about. Do you try to keep balance on the defensive end? Do you try to sell out on stopping the run? Because McCarthy has shown he can make those kinds of plays. He's also shown, though, when you look at the Illinois game, you know, that was the game where Blake Corum got hurt. Donovan Edwards also didn't play in that game, I believe. So Michigan was down to their third string running back at one point. And it was a game where J.J. McCarthy really struggled. He was 18 of 34 passing it might have been a bad weather game if I remember correctly there might have been a lot of wind and whatnot I'm not exactly sure maybe it was another Illinois game I was thinking of but regardless J.J. McCarthy did not have his best day throwing the football he didn't have any touchdown passes I think he was just over 200 yards so um, he's been a fairly consistent passer I believe he's at just under 66 percent completions for the season and again a, a quarterback who doesn't turn the ball over for for TCU, I think you have to you have to stay committed to having balance on on the defensive end, and I think if if the frogs were able of if the frogs were able to contain Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson, hold them combined under 50 yards rushing, I think the frogs are fully capable of of stopping Michigan's rush offense. But I I. I'm curious to know, I guess, as the game goes on, should Michigan get off to a strong start, do you try to sell out? And if you do sell out, I I am a little worried that J.J. McCarthy can make the necessary plays to beat you down the field. I think the the number one key is going to be to, to stop the run, obviously to prevent Michigan from getting the ground game going, but if you can prevent... Michigan from getting into that play action offense, which which is where they're so effective and so much more dangerous and dynamic because they're able to get so many other guys involved, force them into some obvious passing situations. Make JJ McCar- McCarthy beat you on third and eight or second and nine or whatever the down and distance is. And I think if, if your defense is able to do that, and you're just not winning those one-on-one matchups down the field with Trey Tomlinson or Josh Newton or whoever else, then I think you just got to tip your cap and say that Michigan played the better game. That's that's the way I look at it. I feel confident in TCU secondary personally. I'm not sure you know, how exactly they compare to a team like Ohio State or Penn State in terms of skill talent, but just based off of the amount of TCU football we've watched this season – I I have to believe that the Frogs will be able to hold their own in some of those one-on-one matchups in this game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the corners, Tomlinson and Newton, stand up better than what Ohio State was attempting to throw at uh, Cornelius Johnson and Ronnie Bell. I think I'm, I'm not concerned at all there. And and actually, they they compare much more similarly to Illinois, who who also have uh, a strong defense but really strong corner play. Um, so I I feel good there. I am more concerned about you talked about the two tight end sets, 
And those two tight ends are are very good at all aspects of the game. They're they're strong blocking, but they are uh, really good route running and uh, sure handed, and will be able to find space against the TCU linebackers and safeties. Um, that's where I, I see a concern of of Schoonmaker and Loveland finding space against Mark Perry or, uh, you know, Johnny Hodges in, in coverage or something like that, where that's where they're able to get those chunk plays to pick up those third and longs that even if TCU does its job to, to slow the run and force those difficult situations, um, that's how, it's, you know, you don't want to say like security blanket. I think it's just, that's the successful play. That is what will have an opportunity to be successful. Um, in my opinion, I'm, I'm concerned about their ability. I'm also concerned about, uh, Edwards out of the backfield. I think he's, um, he's just a, a dynamic playmaker with the ball in his hands. And if they find ways to get him the ball any way that they can. And if it's not working, running them up the middle, if they're, they're able to sneak them out um, in any way, we've, we've seen TCU vulnerable to that in the past. Um, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see if TCU also is able to get any pressure at all. Um, you know, part of what made the Texas game so successful um, partially it helped that there there were several drops from the receivers. So even big time, you know, Xavier Worthy had some drops. Um, Jatavian Sanders had some drops. So that that helped. But I think it was also just the pressure on Quinn Ewers, um, five star quarterback. But if if you know he can't play like a five star quarterback if he's got uh, Dylan Horton in his face, if he's got D Winners in his face, um, so. I think McCarthy may be a slightly better runner than, than yours is generally. Uh, so maybe McCarthy can escape some of that stuff, but I think that that's the other key is how does, how does TCU get pressure on this um, around this offensive line? I don't know. And, and I'm sure coach Gillespie has something drawn up to make that work. Um, but it's like we've said, it's going to be a huge challenge because this team is, this Michigan team is very, very strong at preventing sacks, at uh, keeping McCarthy clean, and then creating those running lanes as well. Yeah, I think it all boils down to getting Michigan into as many obvious passing situations as possible. Because I think, ideally, Michigan is the kind of team that's going to want to run the ball anywhere from 30 to 40 times a game, if not more than that. Um, the more you can make Michigan attempt passes... I think the more vulnerable they become on the offensive end. Uh, again, they haven't turned the ball over too many times, but I think you can force quite a few three and outs and you can put your defense in a position where you can present some creative looks up front to generate pressure. If Michigan is consistently lining up on third and 10 or third and eight or second and nine or whatever long down and distance TCU could create. Uh, whereas if it's second and two or third and one, second and three throughout most of the game, that's when the playbook is wide open for Michigan. They can run the ball. 
they can execute play action. They could take a deep shot if they want to, knowing that they can run the ball in the very next play. I feel like I'm kind of, you know, beating a dead horse at this point, but it's you you got to find a way to consistently get Michigan into long down and distance and force them to, to pick up 10, 12 yards. You know, Baylor was able to do that consistently against TCU earlier this season. That was something that really bothered me when the defense was able to get early down stops and you force Baylor into third and 10, third and 15, they pick up a huge chunk play. Uh, th- those were just kind of inexcusable mistakes from from my standpoint on the defensive end. And that's against a team like Baylor. You do that against Michigan, you're going to get punished threefold. So find ways to consistently get Michigan into those long down and distance scenarios. And the linebackers, I feel like we talk about the linebackers in this defense quite a bit just in terms of, you know, their responsibilities not only in the run game, filling more gaps, making tackles around the line of scrimmage, but in the in the past defense, needing to blitz and generate some sacks. D. Winters has been very good with that this season. Dylan Horton is a guy who has been kind of heating up over these last few weeks. Um, bulked up quite a bit going into this season. Moved inside, is playing a different technique and has really been effective in the pass rush over these last few weeks. So he's a guy that I'm going to be watching out for in this game to see if he can win some of those one-on-one matchups. Because if TCU can find a player like Dylan Horton or a D. Winters that can either get home consistently with the Blitz or just win a few of those one-on-one matchups, that'll be a huge difference maker as well. Yeah, and I think it probably feels like we're beating a dead horse a little bit here because we're, we're searching for something. Uh, it's, it's hard to find those holes in this Michigan team. And so to come up with these, here's what TCU needs to do. I mean, this it's, it all has to work. Um, and so it's no one thing, but, um, these are the things that no one's been able to do to Michigan yet this season. And so, you know, we're, we're kind of just trying to find how is it that TCU can make those things happen. Um, I think similarly, the Michigan defense also extremely strong up front. Um, Maisie Smith in the middle is, is a beast and will, will eat up whatever's going on up the middle. And they have frightening edge rushers, um, Mike Morris and Harrell, Jalen Harrell, um, uh, coming off the edge are just, um, really going to be nightmares for TCU's offensive line that um, has struggled with some of those elite pass rushing, uh, especially off the edge this season. Um, a lot of opportunity for them to to cause havoc for, for TCU. So I think Garrett Riley will be definitely challenged with scheming ways to uh, kind of get around them, uh, whether that's, you know, Quick, quick pass plays, screen plays, um, misdirection. I think the the quarterback run game uh, is going to be a real key. See what what Max Duggan can do. I don't know how much of that quarterback run, um, what kind of quarterback that they that Michigan has faced that really has had that level of dual threat. Um, you know, C.J. Stroud. I think people really 
he he's an excellent quarterback for Ohio State, but he's not really the running threat even that Max Duggan is. So um, maybe there's maybe there's some opportunities there. Uh, Michigan also sports some some really excellent corners, uh, DJ Turner and Will Johnson on the edge, who will be tasked with trying to stop uh, Quentin Johnston. And I don't know exactly how they're going to have them matched up. I mean, Will Johnson is a true freshman, but he was a five-star and is playing out of his mind lately. He had two interceptions, I think, in the Purdue game, um, but is it has three or four on the season. Um, once he kind of got placed into the starting lineup, has been excellent. And DJ Turner is a, is a senior and has been around a long time, has sized as well. Um, so I think they, they do have the talent to – to throw it at QJ and at Savion Williams to, um, you know, make it difficult to, to kind of just chuck it up there and, and see what falls into those guys' hands. Um, what do you see from, from the Michigan defense that, that scares you? And, and do you think TCU can find a way to, uh, to make some hay against these guys? Yeah, we're talking about the run a lot on this podcast and it's a, a theme for Michigan defensively. They are, arguably the best team right now in college football at stopping the run. They are, last I checked, I believe they were third in the country behind only Georgia and James Madison in terms of rushing yards allowed per game at just about 85, 86 yards per game. So they are very good against the run. I will say that the Illinois game, they did give up 140 yards, I believe, to Chase Brown, who's a very Chase good Brown. player who gets... Uh, just gobbles up carries a la Derrick Henry or some of those other workhorse running backs at the college level. But um, Michigan has fared very well against the run this year. So it's going to be a, a really fun <clears throat> challenge, I think, for Kenray Miller and this TCU offensive line to see how much space they can create and how much damage Kenray Miller can do on the ground. And for, for TCU offensively, I'd be curious to see how much – tempo they throw out in this game I think with, with Michigan playing such a, a physical brand of, of football where it's not getting up to the line quickly and they just they grind out time of possession they run the football TCU in, in the past we've seen air raid offense uh, high scoring games where there's a lot of speed a lot of pace a lot of tempo no huddle I feel like we haven't seen a whole lot of that this year. We've seen it at times in, in like sporadic moments throughout some of these games, but uh, TCU has been, I think much more methodical in the way they have uh, gone about their drives. So I think back to when TCU played Ohio state several years ago and Sean Robinson was the quarterback and those first few drives, it was just, the ball was getting out so fast, ball going out to the left, ball going out to the right, getting guys like Tay Barber and, and Darius Anderson the ball in space and giving them opportunities to make plays, jet sweeps, things things of that nature. I'd be curious to see how much tempo TCU uses in this game to see if they can counteract some of that physical strength, which is some of that pure speed, uh, to see if they can get behind some of these some of these Michigan linebackers and defensive backs. I think uh, when you look at results from the season, Emeka Ibuka and Marvin Harrison Jr. both went over 100 yards for Ohio State in that game. Uh, Charlie Jones for Purdue had, 
I believe, 13 catches for 160 yards in that game. Now, game script kind of factored in for, for both of those teams there. They were down by a couple touchdowns. But I think Quentin Johnston and these TCU receivers are going to have opportunities to win some of those one-on-one matchups. And what's also going to work to TCU's benefit as much as it will to Michigan's is that uh, both teams are going to be well-rested. You know, we joked when we started this that it feels like it's been so long since TCU last played. But remember, toward the end of the season, Quentin Johnston was dealing with a bad ankle. Kendra Miller was dealing with a couple minor injuries. Max Duggan was banged up. Darius Davis was banged up. Tay Barber was banged up. Uh, Johnny Hodges on the defensive side. So these guys are all rested now. We've heard reports that Quentin Johnston's feeling 100%. The other guys are feeling good. And for a team that had to play, you know, 10 games in 10 weeks or 11 games in 11 weeks. 11. Yeah, 11 in a row. Championship, yeah. So I'm sure it felt amazing for those guys to finally have some time off to let their bodies recover and and get back to full strength for this game. So um, I think the key for TCU – offensively in this game is you're going to have to establish some kind of ground game. Even if you're not running for 200 plus yards, like you have in some game this year, I think you have to consistently average four to five yards of carry on the ground. If you're only getting two to three yards of carry, it's going to be tough sledding for, for TCU offensively. And then I think you got to trust that you can uh, win some of those matchups down the field I think TCU is going to have a size advantage at the wide receiver and tight end positions like they have throughout the season with guys that are 6'4", 6'5", like Joquaria Spivey and Savion Williams, Jared Wiley, 6'7". These guys are going to have opportunities to make plays over the middle of the field, down the sideline. I think TCU has done a really nice job this year of uh, attacking the middle of the defense and finding some of those soft spots when teams run zone. Um, but I think also the red zone is where TCU is going to need to, when they do get into the red zone, we've seen a few struggles here or there over the last few weeks. So uh, being able to run the ball consistently, get, getting that four or five yards of carry, being able to finish drives in the red zone, not settling for field goals or failing to convert on fourth down, um, and winning those one-on-one matchups with Quentin Johnston or Savion Williams, those are going to be some of the keys that, that I look for against this Michigan defense. Yeah, I think it's it's been interesting in, in some of the lead-up to this game that TCU's ability to hit the big play, hit the explosive play, and kind of what feels like out of nowhere, boom, there they are uh, way ahead or coming back from a big deficit or whatever. Um, that has been kind of positioned as a negative against TCU. Like um, it's something that, well, you know, the Horn Frogs aren't, they're not really good. They're just kind of get those big plays and that keeps them in games. But it's, you know, it's like a, like a boxer who just kind of, he, he kind of dances around and bops you and bops you. And then, haymaker and you're you're on the mat um but tcu has that ability to to put you on the mat um in the way that you know oh the texas game well tcu just had two plays and that's what won them the game well yeah they had the two plays that won them the game 
Um, you know, Kendra Miller goes for 75 yards touchdown. Quentin Johnston, uh, you know, route breaks open and defensive back gets lost touchdown. And, you know, as, as much as that game was a rock fight for 90% of the game back and forth for both sides, um, it was, those big plays were what make the difference. And, you know, I, I don't see why that's, that's a bad thing. I think that's a, that's a perfectly fine way to win a football game. And if that's the way that TCU is able to, you know, just kind of stay in the ring with Michigan long enough to have that chance to break that big play, um, they've got the, they've got the players, they've got the scheme to make that happen. So, you know, I think it's, it's certainly possible Michigan just runs away with this game and, and all of the things that everyone thinks is true that they're just going to lean on TCU for four quarters and, and TCU won't have anywhere to go. Um, but I think that if Michigan fans and, and the Michigan team should probably be a little bit nervous if this comes into sometime in the second half in the fourth quarter and TCU is within, I don't know, even two scores, um, that the frogs have that ability to, to get it back. Um, they've shown it all season that, that going down doesn't, doesn't hurt them. Um, but this Michigan team, it's another level. It's certainly, there's no question about it. It's another level. So, um, it's going to be an interesting game. It's going to be fascinating to see what of this is true. I think it's, um, it's interesting that pretty much no one nationally, uh, you know, I had an article go up on frogs war today, just like looking at what people are saying. Literally only Shehan Jaraja is the only person I've seen anywhere say that TCU can win this game. Um, Everyone picks Michigan. Everyone picks Michigan to cover this seven and a half point spread like it's a blowout. Um, I, you know, we'll we'll get to our projections, but uh, is there any any other of of the narrative or anything else about this game that uh, piques your interest? You know, I think you you mentioned it how TCU has had so many second half comebacks this season, and teams that have failed to put the frogs away have uh, no language on the podcast, but they've messed around and found out, you know, Kansas state during the regular season had a big lead on TCU. We're not able to put the frogs away missed two field goals, had two interceptions. Frogs go back to win. Baylor had an opportunity at home to close TCU out. They couldn't do it. Frogs found a way to win. You could even go back to the Kansas game. I mean, Kansas had a lot of momentum in the third quarter early fourth quarter frogs find ways to make plays and they're able to win that game. And even though the frogs weren't able to do it in the big 12 championship to, to rally back and take the game into overtime, I think in this game, the longer the game goes, if this game goes into the third and fourth quarters and it's a close game, a tie score, whatever the score may be, um, I think it's going to favor TCU more to be honest, just because, Michigan has beaten teams handily throughout the year. They have blown teams out throughout the year. TCU has won a lot of close games. They have shown up on the big stage. They've had, 
you know, college game day three times this year. Uh, they won, I believe, all three times. Um, did, actually, did college game day show up for Big 12 championship? Yeah, it was Yeah, it was four times, and the fourth was the Big 12 okay, championship. Okay, the regular season, yeah. though. College game day showed up yeah. for the Frogs. They showed up as well, and they would win those games. I think, you know, Michigan has beaten teams handily this year. That defense that's been so good against the run, they they have beaten up on some pretty mediocre offenses when you put uh, Penn State and Ohio State and even Purdue aside and you look at the other 9-10 teams they played this year, you're looking at mediocre to beyond mediocre teams. And, I, and I'm not trying to discredit anything Michigan has done this year because to go 13-0, and run the table – and win a conference championship is extremely difficult regardless of what conference you're in. But I just feel that in this game, the longer it goes on and the longer Michigan lets TCU hang around, the Frogs are going to find a way like they have throughout the season. It could be a special teams error like Kansas State made in the Big 12 championship. It could be a rare turnover that Michigan makes. It could be one of those big plays like we saw to Quentin Johnston toward the end of the Kansas game, TCU is going to find a way if there is one to, to make this a fight. So I, I personally don't spend a lot of time on social media looking at uh, narratives and things like that. A, a lot of that talk, I, I quite honestly tune a lot of that stuff out. That's just, that's just how I am nowadays. I just focus on the, the matchup at hand and I think it's going to be an awesome game. I think it's going to be a fight for sure. And just hoping that we're going to be on the podcast next week uh, talking about a national championship preview. That's my hope. I love it. So in that case, is that, are you predicting it? Is that, is that what we, is that what we see to happen? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, how, and how do you jump see it? right into it and, we, we have very similar scores here. I kind of chuckled to myself when I looked at the rundown and, and saw your prediction. But a, as <laughs> usual, I am, I am picking TCU, of course. And I think this is going to be a bit of a low-scoring game. You know, Texas was a low-scoring game as well. I think this is going to be one of the most physical games that TCU has played this year. But I think, as I just said, the Frogs are going to find a way to have at least one game-changing play, like a special teams turnover or a turnover forced on the defensive end. My score prediction is TCU 24, Michigan 21. I think the Frogs are going to find a way. They're going to shock everybody. They're going to flip the college football landscape upside down, clinch a spot in the national championship. Where they will play, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say it. I'm picking Georgia to beat Ohio State by a pretty wide margin. Um, I think Georgia is unquestionably right now the best team in college football. That defense is absolutely big time. It scares the crap out of me. Um, I, I hope TCU can get there. My prediction is 24-21 final in the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, I'll be looking forward to to play Georgia or Ohio State in, in Los Angeles uh, next, <laughs> next week. But um, – Similarly to your score, yeah, what I had here is a TCU victory 24 to 20. And the way I'm seeing this play out is this goes into 
the final five minutes or so at a, a 17-17 score. Michigan is driving to what they think is to go win the game. They kick a field goal. Uh, TCU gets the ball back with, I don't know, 90 seconds or so, two minutes, and goes on a drive, and, and it ends in in a touchdown drive uh, to to win the game. That's that's how it's playing out in my mind, and uh, I look forward to to Saturday evening uh, when that when that comes to fruition. So twenty four twenty is is my final score prediction: a TCU victory. Um, let's see anything else we want to talk about this game. I, I do feel like I don't want to give it a, a short shrift. We're only a couple of days out from the game now, um, but we've covered it pretty thoroughly here. Anything else we want to say? I guess I did want to mention, you know, you, you talked about the limited turnovers from McCarthy. And yes, he has only three interceptions, but that's on like 260 pass attempts. Um, Max Duggan has four interceptions on the season after throwing one in the Big 12 title game. And that's on like 380 uh, pass attempts. So, I think Max Duggan is, he was the Heisman runner up for a reason. Um, he's had quite a season and I think, uh, I think he's going to stack up. He's going to be the Fiesta Bowl MVP and, uh, roll into, uh, you know, that, that NFL stock that he's looking to build continues to climb. Yeah. You know what? After the Big 12 championship, the way that game ended, I, I think Garrett Riley and Sonny Dykes, they know now that if TCU is in a situation, in the fourth quarter or in overtime, I would love free football as much as you or anyone else would if we get there. But should TCU have an opportunity to, you give the ball to one guy to go out and win it for you. It's, it's going to be Max Duggan. It wasn't Max Duggan, unfortunately in overtime of the big of the big 12 championship. I think the coaching staff has learned its lesson there. I think Max Duggan, if the frogs have a chance Late in the fourth quarter, he did it against Baylor. He did it against Kansas. He did it against Kansas State. I think he has one more in him. I, I absolutely think that he has one more in him. And like I said, I hope we're back here next week talking about a, a TCU Georgia. I I would love that. It would be an awesome matchup, and hopefully we get there. I love it. Um so one other thing, just Fiesta Bowl related, was the the 2009 season Fiesta Bowl, was that before your time as a, a TCU fan, TCU follower? Do you have any memory of that game, the in kind of the lead up to that game, the Horn Frogs contest against the, the Kellen Moore Boise State team? You know, I have vague memories of it because I did grow up watching all kinds of sports. I watched a lot of college football. I think back to the early 2000s when USC was on top of the world with Matt Leinard and Reggie Bush and uh, Dwayne Jarrett and all those great players. And you have Texas with Vince Young and Colt McCoy and Brady Quinn's Notre Dame teams. And I think that's when I first really started to get into, into college football. And I remember for whatever reason, I've always been into statistics and rankings and things like that. And I always would follow the BCS when it would come out. And I remember that year when they came out with the Fiesta Bowl pairings and it was Boise State, who I knew wasn't from one of the big conferences, but I knew that 
they were seemingly going undefeated every year. Like they were the best uh, mid-major football team in the country. But at least in my young mind back then in, in 2010, <laughs> I would have been 16 years old. But uh, I remember they got paired up against TCU and I'm like, TCU. And I looked at the, it was the throwback logo of the, you know, the TCU with the frog in it. Now we usually just see TCU, mm-hmm. but that was really the first time that TCU caught my attention. And then obviously we had the Rose Bowl in 2011 when the frogs beat Wisconsin with Andy Dalton. And um, to be a hundred percent honest, that's when I really started like checking out TCU as a, as a school, because I was a, a junior in high school back in 2010 going into 2011 and then a senior going into 2012. And, you know, I was going through my senior year. I was thinking about what I wanted to do after high school. I had a bit of a phase where I was into, into culinary arts. I thought about staying in school in, in Illinois and, and going to, to culinary school and becoming a chef. And then I decided halfway through my senior year of high school, I wanted to be a writer. Quite a, quite a change there from, from one interest to the other. But um, TCU just really piqued my interest when I started looking at schools. It just looked like such a great place to be and talked my parents into taking me down for a visit, loved it, did a student ambassador thing where I stayed the long weekend with, with a student on campus and just had a a great, a great time with it and wound up going to school, double majored in journalism and writing, graduated from the Schieffer college. And here I am now as a big time frog fan doing the podcast and <laughs> staying involved. I, I, I enjoy it very much. And yeah, it really does stem back to, to 2010 and 2011 when I think a lot of people really started to put TCU on, on their radar. You know what? It's funny. I, I live in a, a small town up here in Illinois called Rochelle. It's about 9,500 people. I'm about 90 minutes west of Chicago. I grew up in the west suburbs, but the the amount of people that I have had approach me and ask me if I went to TCU or if I'm a fan of TCU, because I, I have all kinds of frog swag, let's be honest. I have, I'm a sucker for Nike stuff. I'm a sucker for frog stuff or any Chicago sports stuff, but the, the, the amount of people that have come up to me and, and, you know, said, hey, TCU, and we'll just start talking about TCU sports, not even in the, in the suburbs, but people like out here in the rural area. It's just, it's really, it's, I feel like it's really unique for, for a small school. You, you could expect it with like a Michigan or a, a Notre Dame or some of those schools that have 30, 40, 50,000 kids, but uh, TCU just has such a unique uh, culture and such a unique alumni base. And I don't know, I, I got off on a little bit of a, a tangent there, but <laughs> it's, it's just, it's really, it's really cool. Um, how TCU came on, came onto my radar back then as a, as a high schooler and, uh, never thought it would lead me to where I am today, but, um, yeah, definitely, a uh, really pleasant memory from, from my high school days. Yeah. Little old TCU doing big things. I think that, 
you weren't the only one for that time to to catch their attention. I mean, the uh, the application numbers like went through the roof after those two years. The the, the football team really brought a lot of attention to the university in general. Um, luckily enough for me, I was already a student at that time, and so I, I didn't have to fight all those applications for myself to get in. I, I was I was already grandfathered in um, as an as an old man. I was a I was a senior at TCU. Uh, it was my what I thought might have been like the last football game I go to was that that Fiesta Bowl game. Um, and do I have any memory of the game? Uh, very little. Uh, I, I was there. I was there in Glendale. We we road tripped. I think we had five guys in a uh, in like a, a Rav Four, a Forerunner, or something. We we packed into a car and road tripped it uh, from Fort Worth out there and uh, like did an overnight drive and <laughs> uh, not not the safest situation there. But but that all was was fine and. Um, probably got out to the stadium entirely too early to begin tailgating. Um, and yeah, made it into the game and it was a game was kind of a lame football game. Um, low scoring, not a lot happened. Boise had a fake punt or something that ended up being, ended up probably being the difference in the game, but, um, it was a good time. And really did though set the stage for that next season that allowed for the Rose Bowl and and kind of the huge explosion moving into the Big Twelve and all of that positioned TCU um, to be in this spot to be again on the national stage now with an opportunity to earn a chance to to win a national championship. It's um, you know back then it was uh, death to the BCS and um, <clears throat> how much we just wished for an opportunity and, and if you just give us a chance against those big teams, here it is, we're going to, we're going to show you. And that's part of why that Fiesta bowl against Boise state, once that matchup was announced, it was such a disappointment because we thought, all right, now we've made it. We've, we're going to get our chance to go beat whatever USC or Alabama or Oregon and Auburn at that time. Like, um, and instead it was, oh, we got to play Boise State. Great. Who cares? Um, <laughs> and of course, <clears throat> that kind of turned into a rivalry, which was fun. But, uh, you know, I think the Fiesta Bowl is a great atmosphere in the game. I think it's kind of weird. It's, you know, out there in the middle of nowhere. That stadium, kind of like how AT&T Stadium is here in, in Arlington, where it's, uh, it's a big parking lot. And, but... For a big game like this, people come out and and it'll be a good tailgate. I'm I'm really sad. I'll I'll only regret it once, and that's for the rest of my life that I'm not there uh, this this weekend. I, I'm I'm sad I'm not out there um, hanging out with all the frog fans. I think it's going to be an incredible atmosphere, a celebration of TCU, really win or lose. I think you know the are we just happy to be there? I think for the fan base getting this opportunity is is so huge that uh, kind of whatever happens happens and we'll go from there but um i think frog fans are going to have a good time out there um and i'm disappointed i'm not there but uh good luck to everyone who's there hope hopefully you're able to get back on new year's day or or right after hopefully the the flights are all the airlines all your dfw based um 
Dallas Fort Worth based, not DFW airport based um, airlines can get you home. Um, that's probably it for Fiesta Bowl. I guess one thing to note bowls generally, uh, how much stock to put in them as a comparative tool, um, you know, especially now in the amount of transfers and opt outs and people moving on to the draft. It's hard to say how much of these other bowl games mean too much, but it has to be said, Big 12 has put on a bad performance so far um, in bowl season. One and four to date right now as we record, uh, Texas is playing Washington and still pending, of course, is the Kansas State-Alabama Sugar Bowl. So um, it's not going to be a good turnout in full for the Big 12 no matter what happens. And part of that is um, – 80% of the conference made bowl games. So you're going to have some not great matchups there. And also the, the, the conference overachieved with, with TCU reaching the playoff that cascades down to um, everybody is probably playing a better opponent in their bowl game um, than they would have been otherwise um, if TCU had been left out. Um, so you know, congrats to to Texas Tech for getting the big win over Ole Miss. Um, it was, I think that was a really impressive performance. Um, Donovan Smith had already left the program, so they, they were, you know, Tyler Shuck was was really good. So good to see that. Unfortunate for uh, for Zach Evans, our our former uh, five star, <laughs> but. Uh, you know, what else? Any anything from bowl season caught your eye? Just watching. You know, I think. We talked last time. I think we were recording as Baylor was losing to Air Force. I think that was fun to see. But, yeah, you know, I've um, been, any, uh, anything catch your eye? I've been watching some of these bowl games the last couple of days just to, you know, get myself back into the the college football bowl season. You know, there's so many bowls, and some of these games early on in the in the bowl season are are kind of forgettable, at least in my opinion. But uh, was really excited to see Kansas come back and make it a game against Arkansas. I was at work when that game was going on, I, I, I peeped the score at a few different occasions and I believe Kansas was down, uh, 31 to 13 at one point might've been a 23 or 25 point deficit or something crazy like that. And then Jalen Daniels just went scorched earth on the Razorback defense set a Liberty bowl record with 544 passing yards, five touchdowns and, uh, didn't have the best start to the game, but, Kansas is going to be a really fun team to watch over this next year or so because they have a lot of really prom really promising young talent on the offensive side of the ball that'll be coming back, led by Jalen Daniels and Luke Grimm and some of those other guys and their coach so well. Devin Neal, a running back, yeah, they, and coaching they, man. They they're, score, they're going to be scary yeah, they, for sure. They score so many points. It's it reminds me a little bit of Texas Tech from a few years back in those Cliff Kingsbury days where, uh, and not in the aspect that they were well coached, but in the, in the aspect that <laughs> uh, they they score 30 and give up 40. They score 40, they give up 50. They score 50, they give up 60. You know, it's one of those things where offensively you feel like Kansas is good enough now to be an eight or nine win football team they just need to find ways to come around on the defensive end and having Kenny Logan back for another season 
is going to be huge for the Jayhawks next year. Would have really loved to see them pull out that win against Arkansas. Um, Jason Bean, as they say on the on the NFL uh, show on ESPN, come come on, man. Come, Come on, on man. man. Oh, man. That was a, a tough He had break. him. He just... Tough, mm. tough, tough break for, for the bean there, but um, Oklahoma State and Wisconsin, I had no idea what to even really think of that matchup because there are so many players transferring out of that Oklahoma State program, so many injuries. You have Wisconsin that's going through a coaching change and quarterbacks leaving, quarterbacks coming in. So I mean, that was pretty much a wash to me. Texas Tech... Did enjoy seeing that win against Ole Miss. Um, Lane Kiffin making a making a idiot of himself again on on TV and getting nine million dollars a year to do it. Um, very entertaining, I'm sure, for the Ole Miss fan base. And then uh, Air Force, as as someone who covers sports here in Rochelle, my, I'm a sports editor. For those who don't know, my day job and I watch Rochelle High School football, and they are very much an old school football team. They run the ball. You know, 90, 95% of the time they run a wing tee. They have three running backs. So when I watch some of those teams like Air Force or Navy or even Georgia Tech and they're able to, to get off the football the way that Air Force did against Baylor, I always get a little entertained by it. So um, so, sorry, not sorry for the Bears for having to play in TCU Stadium in close to zero degree temperatures. It looked like there were maybe... 500 people in that stadium maybe a thousand from some of the some of the pictures that i saw i look like people would rather be anywhere else than that stadium to watch that game but uh who knows maybe tanner mordecai will come rolling through uh from the transfer portal and and maybe they'll get back save the day for the bears yeah sure (laughs) um all right that's probably all for football we can we can hit basketball here quickly just to note that uh, TCU is coming off a dominant win over Central Arkansas, one hundred three to fifty seven, uh, the other night, and um, another one of those where you don't know what to take away from it, other than TCU looks really well put together. I mean, uh, Micah Peavy didn't play, but all of the starters who uh, you would have thought coming into the year, so that the old starting five, the band was back together and they looked incredible together. Um, Emmanuel Miller and Mike Miles each went over 20 points. Uh, Damian Ball was just seeing the, the, the court like none other. He, he was distributing, uh, making plays all over the place. He had filling up the stat sheet. So 13 points, five rebounds, six assists, four steals. He, he had a monster night. Um, Jacoby Coles and Shahada Wells both coming off the bench with 12 points each. Um, it's it's a good sign to see the team playing well together uh, here going into that's the last of the non-conference portion of the schedule. There's still a, a, at least one or two more non-conference games ahead, but not before TCU opens Big 12 play on Saturday morning now. Um, ahead of the Fiesta Bowl. So Saturday, 11 a.m. in Schollmeyer uh, against Texas Tech. Um, what is a, a really huge game uh, early in this in this Big 12 schedule? You know, I think in the – I don't know if it's the net rating or in the Ken Palm rating. I, I saw the graphic today that, that the program put out or that the conference put out of. The Big 12 is has the highest average um, – 
rating there with like number 30 overall is their average rating. It's, it's something crazy of basically every game in the conference is, is going to be extremely difficult in the double round Robin home and homes. So um, a lot of tough basketball ahead for the frogs, but uh, looking forward to that first game and, and what the frogs can do against uh, a really tough red Raiders Team. Yeah, and you have five out of the ten teams in the Big 12 right now are ranked in the top 25. Um, I believe three of them are in the top 15. So TCU is, uh, I think, getting punished a little bit, obviously, in the Ken Palm just because of that loss to uh, that non-conference loss. It's a bad loss. That horrible really loss, loss earlier in the year. But um, I, I think the Big 12, as usual, is going to be a dogfight. In, in conference play and to start off with Texas Tech I think is going to be uh, a good litmus test to see where the Frogs are and how far they've come from the, those first three four games of the year where yeah you don't have Damian Baugh but the team is not playing well regardless um, giving, getting him back has obviously been a huge bonus but the team is shooting the ball really well from the field right now they were over 50 percent again, in this game against Central Arkansas, really uh, building off of what they're doing on the defensive end, generating a lot of turnovers, which creates easy opportunities for layups and baskets around the rim on the other end. Uh, Multiple guys in double figures in this game. Emmanuel Miller had another really nice game with 20 points and 10 rebounds, a double-double for him. And, you know, I've talked about him a little bit before, and Mike Miles is the preseason Big 12 player of the year. Damian Baugh is a very good all-around player. Eddie Lampkin gobbles up rebounds, but Emmanuel Miller, I think, is someone that is going to be talked about a lot more as the season goes on, because he's just such a fundamentally sound basketball player. You know, you watch him play, and he's so good out of the low post. He has great footwork. He has good touch around the rim. He's expanded his game to to start shooting more three-pointers for a team that uh, doesn't really shoot three-pointers particularly well. And you lose Francisco Farabello to Creighton. You bring in Rondell Walker, who hasn't really done anything yet so far. You're, you're going to need some other guys to start making shots. You know that Mike Miles can get hot from three. Chuck O'Bannon can occasionally get hot from three. But if Emmanuel Miller can consistently knock down three-pointers as well. That's going to add a a significant dynamic to this offense and make the Frogs a lot more versatile. So really happy to see him play well. And to have guys off the bench, Jacoby Coles has been a big surprise to me. Um, Micah Peavy, I felt, would be someone that could take a leap this year, uh, potentially even be a starter, but I think he's going to continue to, to come off the bench, kind of be like that sixth man for, for TCU this year. But you know, Jacoby Coles going back to last year was kind of like the, I would say he was like the eighth or ninth guy in the rotation, was in and out of the rotation, didn't have very many performances where he stood out, really struggled shooting the ball. He's had multiple double-digit scoring games already, and he's been really active on the glass, which I've enjoyed seeing, because TCU, the more guys they can have getting after the boards, the better. And I think the Frogs can have some significant advantages in the rebounding category as the year moves forward. And I think about the Arizona game 
last year in the NCAA tournament, one of the biggest reasons why TCU was able to take that game all the way down to the wire was because of how good they were on the glass, specifically the offensive glass and the amount of second chance points they were able to get. So really pleased with Jacoby Coles so far this year, really pleased with Emmanuel Miller, excited to have Damian Baugh back. And it's going to be a big New Year's, New Year's Eve for, for TCU fans. If, if it goes the way we hope it does, um, like Tory Lane says, it's going to be Liddy later on in the day. So it very well could be uh, one of the best days in the history of uh, TCU athletics. So uh, that's that's <laughs> we're put we're putting that kind of pressure on on the day. I think uh, it, it's a big day, and it'll be exciting to see. You know, this basketball team is eleven and one going into conference play, and it'll just be exciting to see them with this test certainly wins over uh, Iowa and Providence are, are and SMU are good are good wins but uh this is another level here once we we hit the conference play and um seeing how they stack up at, at that level will be will be really interesting and as the frogs look to uh start building that resume for uh for March madness and and for seeding and all of that so we haven't started thinking about that yet. Certainly, it's not even January yet, but um, that's that'll become the big focus here uh, in a couple weeks after the next two football games that we'll uh, we'll be covering. Yeah, once we get to 14 and 1, then we can start shifting our attention to to basketball, and hopefully TCU will be in the top 10 in the in the college basketball rankings by the time we get there. Perfect. They get to yeah. They get to just kind of be in the shadows until that uh, that last until that trophy's lifted. Um, all right. With that, I think we'll close it there. Thanks everyone for for listening. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Frogs of War, um, Facebook, YouTube. Give us a follow. Subscribe to the podcast where you get your podcasts. And um, you know we'll we'll keep the keep the coverage coming. Definitely join us in the game thread. Um, on Saturday, I think it'll be it'll be fun there to to chop it up and and ride the ups and downs of whatever's happening uh, in the Fiesta Bowl, and um, we'll see you next time. Go frogs! Go frogs! Hopefully, no one had to break the bank to make the trip out to to Glendale for this. I know some folks have spent quite a quite a chunk of change on on some of those tickets. So, uh, if you're staying in a Verbo, hopefully you got a discount there. Um, <laughs> Wherever you're celebrating New Year's Eve, uh, just be safe. Make smart choices. Use Uber and Lyft. Don't drink and drive. Don't do anything stupid. If the Frogs win, I may condone some streaking if you are feeling up for it. (laughs) Otherwise, I hope you get arrested. (laughs) All right.